This is Revive Chicago. Listen and be changed. Right. So for the sermon, you can turn with me to the book of Luke. Luke chapter 1. And I've actually got it's kind of a long little story that we're going to read. So I'm going to do I'm going to do quite a bit of reading and then we'll go through it. And we'll point out some of the things that happened and were going on culturally, or maybe help it make a little bit more sense, put some flesh on it for us, and uh, see where God takes it from there. So, if you'd like to turn with me to the book of Luke, chapter 1, and we'll start in verse 5. And I'm reading from the NIV version. That makes it easier to follow along. And it says this, In the time of King Herod of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife, Elizabeth, was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were upright in the sight of God, observing all of the Lord's commandments and regulations blamelessly, but they had no children, because Elizabeth was barren, and they were both well along in years. Once when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by lot, according to the custom of the priesthood, to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time came for the burning of incense, all of the assembled worshipers were praying outside. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing on the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you will give him the name John. He will be a joy and a delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from birth. Many of the people of Israel will he bring back to the Lord their God. And he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Zechariah asked the angel, How can I be sure of this? I am an old man and my wife is well along in years. The angel answered, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. And I have been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens because you did not believe my words, which will come true at the proper time. Where was all that volume when they were singing Little Drummer Boy? I hear my Madeline. She didn't sing a word. (laughs) Verse 21. Meanwhile, The people were waiting for Zechariah and wondering why he stayed so long in the temple. When he came out, he could not speak to them. uh, Then they realized he had seen a vision in the temple, for he kept making signs to them, but remained unable to speak. When his time of service was completed, he returned home. After After this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and for five months remained in seclusion. The Lord has done this for me, she said. In these days he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. I'm going to keep reading here. We've got a little more ways to go. Verse 26, in the seventh month, or sorry, in the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. 
Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will be with child and give birth to a son. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who was said to be barren is in her sixth month, for nothing is impossible with God. There's a powerful passage, and maybe some of you have read this once or twice before. Maybe you've heard it at Christmas time. Maybe some of you have never really read the story of Zechariah all that closely. But there's a lot going on in this passage, and I kind of want to break it down for us here and help give some understanding. So when you go back and read it, or you hear the Christmas story later on, it's got some flesh on the bones, you know what I mean? And so um, the first thing that we find out as we're reading in verse, we'll jump back up into verse 5, is about this priest Zechariah. And he belonged to a priestly division. And one of the interesting things during this time period is there were more priests available to serve in the temple than were needed. There, were, there weren't enough duties to go around. And so that's why it says that, they, that he uh, cast lots and it was his turn to go into the temple. They, it would have almost been um, like a lottery system. <laughs> Like, this is a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to go into the temple and perform this particular duty. So he would have been, he would have been a priest, but he wouldn't have been like one of the regulars, if that makes sense, doing this particular duty. So going into the temple, he's an old man, and this is probably the first time in his life he's ever done this particular duty. And the other thing about the priest during this time is to go and serve in the temple like they did, since there were so many, they actually had two weeks on every year, and they weren't even consecutive weeks. So they would go and work in the temple for a week, and then they would go home to their family, and maybe uh, a lot of the Levites during this era were actually like working fields, maybe they were a farmer or did something else to support themselves, because even though the priestly system, the way God had set it up, the Levites were supposed to be taken care of completely, The, uh, the, the priestly system had become corrupt, and so only like the higher priests or the more, uh, they called it the aristocracy, like at the time, they were more well-to-do and they were kind of taking the funds. And so some of these lower-level priests had to be, you could say, bivocational and make money other ways. And then they had two weeks a year that they were called to go into the temple. So this is that time of year for, um, for Zechariah to go into the temple. And then on top of that, this was a very sacred time or a time that like they cast lots and it was his job to go in and put the incense on the altar itself. And it wouldn't have been something that took very long. Like it would have been a pretty quick thing. Like you just go, you walk into the temple, you put the incense on the altar, it burns, you smell the fragrance for a little, you bow down and prostrate yourself for a few moments and then you come back out. Like you're you're essentially putting the prayers of the saints or the prayers of the people on the altar. And so you can imagine this crowd's all kind of 
standing outside waiting because this is their, this is their prayers. He's going in representing them, representing their prayers. And one of the greatest fears would be like if you go in and you get struck down by God. And so they're kind of anxious outside when he doesn't come out. And then he takes he takes a long time to come out and they're waiting like did God strike him dead? Was he actually a sinful person? What's going on here? And so there are a little there's a there's a little bit of worry going on when they're like they're anxious to see him when he finally comes out. So he goes into the temple and burns incense and this is probably again this is like the highlight of his life. He probably has never done this before. He's got a, what? Uh, they said, um, some of the commentaries I read said that there were as many as 18,000 priests during this time. So you have like a 1 in 18,000 chance of doing this particular priestly duty that they're just casting lots for. And so it becomes his turn, and he goes in to perform this duty. And he's never done it before. And the one time he goes in, an angel shows up. And it's like a setup, a God setup. And so it's customary, he's following the custom, he goes in to burn the incense, and then this angel appears to him, and what happens? It says he's gripped with fear. And this is kind of that same thing that happens in the Old Testament whenever angels appear. Like, I like to think of myself as a fairly courageous person, you know, like most of us I'm sure do. Like, yeah, I'm brave, you know. We saw the brave little toaster when we were a kid, and that just like instilled this sense of bravery in us, you know. Um... <laughs> but like most of us, we like to think that we would be brave in this instance. Or what? Like, but this guy is a priest. He's served God, and he's startled at this moment. I think if you saw a real live angel, you'd be a little startled and taken aback too, right? Especially like most of the time, the way the Bible describes them, these are big beings. <laughs> and so he's in there. He's performing his duty, and you can also imagine part of why the fear would have gripped him, right? Because if the lore is that you go in there and you're sinful or you have a blemish or something like that, then the angel's there to strike you down. So that's also part of the fear, right? Like this angel's here to take my life. <laughs> like that's what's going through your head. And in our, whereas in our day, like, I don't, I, I don't know if it's the precious moments thing or what, but like most of us kind of think we're friends with angels, you know? Like if an angel showed up, you'd be like, hey, buddy, what's going on? And he's like, this is not the fear I expected. <laughs> uh, I, I don't know how it would translate in our day because we have a hard time picturing this moment. And so I'm trying to get us to put ourselves in Zechariah's shoes a little bit. Like the, the just sheer awe of him getting in to perform this duty. And he's probably shaking a little bit. And maybe he just spilled some of the incense or something. You're like, I don't know what's going through his head, but he's like finally getting to represent the people of God. This is a big deal. And you're representing the prayers of the people. You're representing the cares of the people and even the sins of the people. And you're not supposed to go in there with any sin in you or something might happen. So this is a huge moment in his life. And the angel appears, and now, like, he's afraid he's going to be struck dead. But instead, the angel greets him and says, don't be afraid, right? Your prayer has been answered, and your wife will bear you a son. Now, this is like, now, you know, his mind goes from, I'm about to die, to I'm going to be a father. In seconds, right? Like, proce processing this information. And he's an old man, <laughs> And he knows he's an old man. 
Like, how is this going to happen? My wife is old. I'm old. And so he's just, he's processing all of this. And just disbelief. Went from, I'm going to die, to I'm going to have a kid. What are you talking about? Right? And the angel says, like, declares all of these things. Like, this child is going to be a joy to you. He's going to be filled with the Holy Spirit at birth. And you're not to allow wine to touch his lips. And giving him all of these directions. And you can imagine, like, his mind is racing. And all the adrenaline that's pumping, like, what? Like, can it be? Am I really going to be a How is this possible? Right? And then he blurts that out. The angel says all this wonderful stuff. And he's talking about the spirit and power of Elijah. And he says, how can I be sure of this? How can I be sure of this? And you kind of go, well, like, I don't know, like maybe an angel appeared to you? Like, isn't that enough to give you some surety? <laughs> like, if an angel appears to me and tells me something, I'm going to be like, yeah, I believe you, whatever you say, right? Like, I think it's absolutely astounding that all of this happens. He just went from the literal fear of death to finding out he's going to have a kid and just such disbelief that God would do something like this and use him. And I imagine most of us, like, this is kind of the thing that would be going through our head a little bit. Like, how is this going to happen? Some of you are probably analytical people. Your mind's always racing. And so something like that happens. And what does your mind instantly go to? The rational thought. Like, okay, how's this, how's the, how's this process going to happen? What's going to take? Like, how is this even? I know this is impossible. So we'd probably ask a similar question, right? How, how can I be sure of this? And a little bit, he's asking for a sign. Like our mind goes to like Gideon and throwing out a fleece. And like, it's almost like he's bartering with God. Like, all right, give me a sign that this is going to happen. And God's a little bit like, is an angel not enough? <laughs> right? And the angel says as much. Because Zechariah's response is, how can I be sure of this? And the angel answers and says, I stand in the presence of God and I speak on his behalf. And what's interesting is what we take as a punishment is actually part of the sign. Right? What's the sign? You will be silent. You will be silent. That's not the sign you want. Right? Like you're not going to be able to talk. And what I find really interesting here is the contrast because of what Gabriel just got done saying. What did Gabriel just get done saying? Your son is going to be born and be filled with the Holy Spirit at birth. Your son is going to speak and prophesy. Your son is going to move in the power of Elijah. What does that mean? A voice. Like one calling in the wilderness. And so you see this contrast of the son that's going to be born, and the voice, and the power, and the Holy Spirit. And then because of Zechariah's unbelief, the silence. And that's a really noticeable contrast to me. It's like your son's going to be filled with the Holy Spirit at birth, but you, you're going to be quiet. I'm not going to allow any unbelieving talk come out of your mouth. I'm not going to allow you to speak this out of existence. I'm, going to not let, I'm not going to let your unbelief kill this dream or kill this purpose. 
So now you're going to be quiet during a point where you should be filled with joy, where you should be speaking the wonders of God, where your voice should be overflowing. You're going to be quiet. But your son, your son, he's going to be filled from birth. And it makes you think, right? This whole process, you're like, poor guy, right? And and you see, like, it seems this stark stark moment of unbelief but how does Luke describe Zechariah in the first place? It calls him and Elizabeth righteous. And what's interesting is the, the word that he uses to describe their righteousness is actually like on par. It's the same way the Bible describes Abraham's righteousness and Noah's righteousness and Job's righteousness. So he, like Luke is purposely putting Zechariah and Elizabeth on this level of righteousness and blamelessness before God. He wants us to think of them. And so you picture someone like Zechariah and Elizabeth and all that they face, all that they've gone through, and they've not had kids yet. And in their day, barrenness was considered a curse. And like, you must have done something wrong. You must have sinned. The wife, the wife must have sinned. There's something wrong, and that's why you're not able to procure children. And she's blaming herself. Most likely, because of all that she's faced and all that she's gone through. And yet Luke wants us to know, he's like, no, no, no. They were not barren because of a curse. They were not barren because of something that they did. Luke wants us to know that they were righteous, like Abraham and Sarah level righteous. That's powerful. And so you wonder, like in this moment, Zechariah is such a blameless dude. And then the angel appears and there's such unbelief from a priest. It's a stark contrast. And so he comes out to the people. He's been in there a long time, right? And I imagine the angel appeared and then even when Gabriel left, he kind of just sat there stunned for a little bit, processing. And he probably tried to talk to himself a little bit. And he couldn't. So he's probably in there freaking out, <laughs> right? And he's all by himself. And he's like trying to talk and his voice won't talk. And he's like, how am I going to, I'm supposed to go out there. And, you know, like I'm the pastor of you, of you guys. Like in this context, I imagine like if I went behind the curtain and then like came back out, you would all expect me to say something, <laughs> right? Like he's coming out to the people. They've all been anxiously awaiting him to come come out to them and so he's like he knows he has to go out there and face the people and they're all expecting him to say something like your sins are forgiven or you know they're not catholic but you know the sign of the cross or something to make them feel good and he comes out and all he can do is sign and they know like you you just went in there and you were talking before you went in there like they did their rituals and stuff so like He had just been out in front of them. They're all waiting. And he's supposed to just go back there for like 10 minutes and come back out and be like, all right, your sins are forgiven, people, or, you know, whatever they do. So, like, this man was talking when he went in and mute when he came out. Explain that in sign language when you don't know it. You know? Like, and it says he just, he's like motioning to them, but he remained unable to speak. Imagine all that's going through Zechariah's head at this moment. And he returns home from his time of service. 
And we kind of know now, okay, your time, his time of service was a week. So he'd spent a week there in Jerusalem, and he goes back home to Elizabeth, and she becomes pregnant. And she's ecstatic. What does she say? God has finally shown me favor, and the disgrace has been removed. That's how she describes it. And the reason we, I'm telling you all this story about Zechariah and giving you some of the background, and we're trying to understand where he's coming from and the position that God has him in, but Luke is actually a master storyteller. And he's telling this story this way on purpose. And he just got done in the opening of the book describing to his friend, he's like, I've carefully studied and read and compiled this data. And so I'm going to share this account with you about who Jesus was so that you can know the truth. And so when Luke does this, he actually, he pieces these stories together. And you see the story of Zechariah and the prophecy about John. And then you see this story about Mary. Now Mary, some of you may know how young she is. I don't know if everybody does. So when, when the Bible describes, or in Bible times during this era, when it describes a young virgin or a young gal pledged to be married, this girl's like 14 years old. That was the normal age. If, you're, if she's 16 and still a, at home and a virgin, she's considered an old maid. Like, that's the way they would have referred to them, which is crazy to us. Like, girls hadn't even, I mean, like, we call that teen pregnancy. Like, we, it's a whole uproar in our era, right? But we have to look back, and we're trying to look through the lens of their era. And so you got this 14-year-old girl who's already betrothed. She's already pledged to be married to a guy named Joseph. He's of the line of David, right? An upstanding citizen. She's marrying into the line of, like, Joseph is a descendant of King David, right? So it's, a good, it's going to be a good marriage. And she's 14 years old. And she probably... You know, she understands the, we could say the birds and the bees a little bit. Like she, she knows, that's where we get the question from her. But as we set up this story, like the angel shows up to her and her response is different. Because remember, Zechariah was gripped with fear. And yeah, he still has to tell Mary, don't be afraid. But it doesn't say she's gripped with fear. And he greets her. And he says, you have found favor with God. And before that, he said, greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. So this would have been, again, we're, we're kind of unpacking like the patriarchal society, the mentality of the era, okay? And when, when you would greet people on the street, there were like certain status people that were greeted well, and as a 14-year-old female in this culture, you would not have even been greeted. So like in her mind, she hears this and she's being not only like greeted by an angel, she's being greeted with the greeting that you would give to like the highest level male members of society. And this is like hard for her to process. Like, wait, like, why are you speaking to me this way? You guys all following what I'm saying? Like, like when you go and, you, and you're greeting people and you're, there's like someone that's most respectful in the room and like, you know, we, we usually, even our modern greetings, they're, they're kind of terrible. Like, Mr. So-and-so, like we, have, we don't have much of a, of a greeting or a status in our society. We kind of like the no status or the, the low status. We, we almost like 
purposely devalue ourselves or have some self-deprecation. Like, but in their day, it was a big thing. If you didn't get greeted properly in their society, it was a bad thing. And status and honor and shame were a huge part of how they greeted each other, how they interacted publicly, the things that were said. And so this angel shows up and greets her, we could say on par with the highest level or the highest status male in her society. And this would have been like, she's like, who am I? I'm 14, I'm a, I'm a girl. Like, why are you greeting me like this? It's pretty amazing. And so you see this contrast between, between Zechariah and Mary. And he, the angel shows up to Zechariah, and Zechariah, as a priest, as an older male in the society, right? You could call him an elder. He's in his 60s. He's kind of an elder. He would have had a position in society. He would have had a status in society. And the angel isn't mean to him or anything. He doesn't like, you terrible person, right? He doesn't like come and scold him. He just says, Zechariah, your prayer has been heard. But Mary, this little 14-year-old nothing girl, gets greeted and says, Greetings, you who are highly favored. And you can imagine in their day, like, if, if you were going to give introductions to people of wealth and status, and you're like, you, you would greet high priest so-and-so, and like, he who is highly favored. And you know, like, you can imagine the type of language that they would use. And now you've got this nothing 14-year-old girl, and the process in her mind is she's being greeted this way, treated so, so wonderfully. And I love how God does stuff like that. Like he takes the guy who's in the high position and kind of lays him low. Like you can just imagine that, the, like I'm just, especially that moment when he's like, I am Gabriel and I stand in the house. of Like you just imagine there's like this echo in the temple, you know? Like it just gets all like powerful and like this huge voice. Like he gets cut down a notch. Like who are you to talk to me that way and question what I'm saying to you? But then when he's talking to Mary, he speaks so highly and he elevates her. And God doesn't mind. He, it's, it, like you can read the book of Proverbs, right? And it says that the prideful, he lays low. And the humble, he raises up. And he speaks to this young girl, this nothing girl, and he raises her up. He elevates her. He speaks highly to her. And so she's, that's why it says, is verse 29, Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this would be. Because she's just so astounded. Like, like, who am I? What? Why would you talk to me this way? Like, even if you are an angel, like, I don't deserve to be treated this way. And so, so she's troubled at it. Like, what does this even mean? And so the angel tells her, you have found favor with God. And I noticed the contrast here again, like Luke is telling this story so powerfully. And we just kind of breeze right through it, trying to make our way through the Christmas story. And Luke wants us to see, look at Zechariah. And the way that he responded to the angel speaking to him. And look at this lowly child, this nothing child, Mary. And how the, how the angel greets her and speaks to her. 
and how she responds and interacts. And it's just a different exchange. And God raises up the lowly. And then she's, the angel starts telling her about what the child is going to be. You're going to give birth to a son. And he's going to be the son of the most high God. He's going to be <laughs> on the throne of his father David. And you can just imagine her mind racing now. Like, wait, I'm going to get pregnant. And she's probably thinking like, okay, I'm, I'm betrothed to Joseph, son of David. That makes sense. Like, she's, tr- she's thinking about all of this. And what's going through her head? But she's also hearing these terms like son of the most high God and like it's definitely not Joseph. (laughs) And you hear the difference in tone when Mary says, how will this be? Zechariah asked, how can I be sure of this? And she asks and says, how will this be? How's this going to happen? Like, it's almost like that, okay, Lord, I'm willing, I'm ready. Like, but how's this going to happen? Tell me the plan. It's not a lack of faith. It's actually a question out of faith. Tell me what to do. Tell me where to go. Tell me what, like, what do I need to do to make this happen? Okay, I'm on board. And now, like, we see that, that stark contrast between Zechariah and Mary get even, the chasm's getting bigger. Right? Zechariah is like, okay, well, give me a sign. The guy that's the priest, the guy that's supposed to know, the guy that's supposed to be in touch with God is so disbelieving. And then you've got this lowly girl, this nothing 14-year-old girl in their society. And she's like, all right, sounds like a plan. How's this going to happen? Let's go. Like, wait, what? What a response. Like, no wonder God picked this girl. No wonder she was so highly favored. She was ready to go. She had faith in her heart. She was ready to go. Whatever God said, whatever God wanted. She says, how's this going to be? How's this going to happen? I'm a virgin. Remember that. (laughs) Right? Like, she knows the birds and the bees enough to understand this part of the process. She's like, how's this going to happen? Give me a game plan. And the angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. And that overshadowed is a term that the Jewish people use to talk about the presence of God. And they usually use it in terms of their people. Like the overshadowing presence, almost like uh, you read Jesus later on, he actually describes like a hen covering its chicks with its wings. Like this kind of overshadowing, this protection, this covering, this closeness. And God, the angel declares that God is going to overshadow her, cover her, protect her. And that that's how she would become with child. And it's also interesting to me because I've heard people, uh, atheists, people who are unbelievers, they struggle with this idea of virgin birth. They're sort of like, okay, you know, it's one of those myths like, you know, the Greeks and the Romans, they had their, their virgin birth myths and blah, blah, blah. And they try to like explain it away and say that the Bible was just a copy. The Bible's just picking up on some of their stories, changing a few of the things, and it's the same, you know, they had their 
The other pagan cults had their virgin stories about some god being born, and this is more of the same. But it's actually completely different. There is no other story like this in ancient culture. Every other, like you read about the Egyptians and Osiris, you read about the Greeks and the Roman myths, so their gods, and all of them, like, they involve something sexual, they involve something with a snake laying beside the woman, they involve, like, and, and there's no virgins. So when they tell these stories of their gods and these immaculate births and these, how the gods are born, it's all about gods giving birth to gods, and it all has sexual overtones. Here in this story, Nothing sexual whatsoever. There's no sexual overtones. There's no weirdness. There's no snakes slithering out of somewhere. Like I'm telling you, some of these, some of the ancient pagan myths are like really bizarre and weird. You read this and you're like, okay, that makes sense. Like it's not like it's trying to, it doesn't sound made up or bizarre. It sounds very straightforward, factual. This is what happened. And the other key difference is that this isn't the gods giving birth to another god. This is God becoming man. And that's also a key distinction between the way the other myths and pagan religions had it all pegged. So if somebody ever asks you, or you ever have somebody question you, like, what, like you're a Christian? You believe in the virgin birth? You can be like, actually, yes, like, and they try to pass it off and talk about the other pagan religions and stuff, you have an explanation now. Okay, so Mary has this wonderful response to God. And you can tell, like, we could also say, you know, Zechariah giving him a little bit of the benefit of the doubt, like, how, how can I be sure of this? Whereas Mary's like, how will this be? Like, they don't sound all that different. But how do we know they're different? Gabriel's response. Right? So if Zechariah had asked how, what he asked with an ounce of faith, he wouldn't have gotten the response that he got. And Mary's asking was full of faith. And so he explains to her that the power of the Most High is going to overshadow her. And he goes on to say, For nothing is impossible with God. Nothing is impossible with God. And I think some of you in this room have forgotten that. Nothing is impossible with God. You need to be reminded today. Like if I had done a quiz, you know, we started out today a little bit talking about the Christmas quiz and I'd asked you some questions. If I had asked you this question, you would have given me the Christian answer. You would have said, yeah, nothing's impossible with God. But like, do you really know that with faith like Mary knew that? Because here's the danger in religion, right? Most of us, one of our biggest fears is having our prayers answered like God answers Zechariah. We're afraid God's going to respond harsh. We're afraid God's going to correct us. And so we avoid the opportunity. We avoid the questions. We almost don't pray for things. Or if we do, we're kind of like, you know, it'd be nice, God. <laughs> or we get a little beggy or something like that. But like, Sometimes God wants a bold faith. And the reason I say it's one of the dangers of getting religious is we become legalistic and we assume that God's going to respond to us like Zechariah. 
But God actually wants to respond to you like a Mary. Most of you haven't been serving God like Zechariah had been serving God for 60 plus years, faithful in the temple, righteous. Most of you haven't been serving God that long. But you're still afraid that God's going to respond to you and treat you like he treated Zechariah. Why did God treat Zechariah like this? The reason is because Zechariah knew better. He knew better. He knew how to respond in faith. He knew the word of God. As a priest, he was one of the few people in existence that were literate and had read the word of God. He knew. Mary, this lowly girl, didn't know, couldn't read or write. Hadn't been serving God for very long. She hadn't been alive for very long. And she responds full of faith. So the thing that you fear is kind of made up. This is more like if God came to me, the pastor, the guy who should know, the preacher, the guy who knows the word and studies it for a living, right? If God came to me and spoke to me in this way and I shut it down, or sit, question God, or like, all right, God, well, how's this going to happen? How can I be sure of this? That's how I would maybe expect God to respond to me. Like, all right, Mr. Pastor, you're going to be mute for a little bit. <laughs> like, you can see it in that context. The guy who's supposed to know and doesn't respond in faith, that's kind of deserving of some correction. Right? But for us in this room, for those of you listening later on, are you in a spot where you deserve that kind of correction or are you getting started in your faith? Are you learning more about who God is? And if God comes to you and wants to overshadow you and cover you in his presence and maybe take you somewhere different than where you've been, what do you need to do? Like, all right, God, I'm on board. Respond like Mary. Like, how's, how's this going to happen? I'm ready to go. Let's go. That's a way for you to respond. Don't shut it down. Don't shut the angel down. Don't shut the voice of God down. You're just getting started in this. And most of you, you, you think because you are, you could say the equivalent of this lowly servant girl, or you don't know any better, you are afraid God's going to respond to you harshly. And God's going to shut you down because you're not qualified. But how is Luke telling this story? He's actually saying the guy who's qualified disqualified himself. And the guy who's unqualified got qualified. Isn't that amazing? Man, Luke, that's good storytelling. Right? The guy who was supposed to know better failed, fell short. That's why he got the correction that he did. But the little girl that didn't know any better was full of faith. And she said, all right, let's go. What's the plan? How's this going to happen? And I love that. And that's why Mary got the opportunity that she got. And so as we go about Christmas, as you spend time with your family, as you go home and eat a bunch of cookies, whatever you're going to do, I want you to think about this sermon. And I want you to think about Mary's response. And how, how can you respond like her? 
when the presence of God overshadows you. Because the fact that Jesus came and became a man like us opened the door for all of us to experience his presence like that. For all of, his, for all of us to know the glory of God. That's why he came. His kingdom will never end. God is the God of what? The impossible. And so you know what the key is? The key is Mary's final response. We haven't read it yet. It's in verse 38. This is right after the angel said, nothing is impossible with God. And Mary hears those words. And she becomes so full of faith. She hears, nothing is impossible with God. And what is her response? She says, I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said. May it be to me as you have said. God has something for you. God wants to reveal more of his presence to you. To us here at Revive Chicago. God wants to reveal his character and nature. He wants to overshadow you with his presence so that you know he's there, he's real, he's the God of the impossible. He has something for you. He has something for your family. But you get to decide how you respond. Are you going to be the know-it-all religious guy? The priest who should know better and question God? Or are you going to decide to be like this lowly little girl and respond in faith and say, God, let it be unto me according to your word, what you have said. Because in the next part of the story, Mary's singing a song to the Lord. Zechariah can't sing it. And as the story goes on, it's kind of fun because Mary sings this song to the Lord and talks about the high being made low and the low being brought up and she sings about what God's going to do through her future son. And then John the Baptist gets born and at his birth, suddenly Zechariah can speak again and he's learned his lesson. And what's the first thing that comes out of his mouth but a song similar to Mary's and he starts declaring the works and wonders of the living God. And so Luke does this wonderful thing where he's like contrasting Zechariah, then Mary, then Zechariah again. And suddenly Zechariah is speaking forth boldly and speaking forth faith like he should have from the get-go. So whether you're a Zechariah in this room or whether you're a Mary in this room, God wants to speak through you. You're not going to be silent forever. When the power of God overshadows you and you feel his presence, you feel his glory, what's your response to be? Silence? Shut down? That's what we do in religion, isn't it? We get all quiet. You can almost hear this like meditation, like, um, right? Everybody gets, they fold their hands and we close our eyes and everybody, it gets quiet. But God wants to empower you to speak, to be bold, to be full of the Holy Spirit. When the power of the Holy Spirit comes upon you, when the Lord overshadows you, there's a fullness. There should be something that comes out of your mouth. And you speak like Mary. And you declare the works and wonders of God. And you say, let it be to me as you have said. 
Would you stand with me this morning? As we read about Mary and we read about Zechariah, it's time for you to stop disqualifying yourself. Even now, I bet some of you are thinking of sin from this morning or yesterday and things you should have done or shouldn't have done, things that you said. And all of these things are racing through your head that disqualify you, that disqualify you, that disqualify you. And part of the point of Christmas season is to declare the glory of God and how He sent His Son to qualify you. Because you know what? You are unqualified. You have been disqualified. The sin, the darkness, the things that you've done, you're guilty. But Jesus came to earth to set the guilty free. He came to qualify you. He came to say, you get to be in my presence because you don't deserve it. And some of you get caught up and you're standing here in the presence of God and you're like, okay, well, how is this going to happen? How can this be? Give me a sign so I can be sure of it. And you're hearing me up here preaching and I'm no angel, but you're like expecting some kind of neon sign or something that says you get to be touched by the presence of God. Some, some voice from heaven that just rocks your world and tells everything is going to be different. You want some sign. And that actually is part of what blocks the experience for you. When you constantly want the sign or you put your sin in the way. God says, I know your sin. I know your past. But I'm here. I sent my son to qualify you, to forgive you, to set you free. To be Emmanuel, God with us, so that nothing is impossible. There's no more hindrance for you to be in the presence of God. There's nothing blocking you anymore. There's not a person under the sound of my voice that can't experience God's presence. I hear that voice still. I don't deserve it. Yeah, you don't deserve it, but that's the point. That's the point, my friend. You don't deserve it, but all you have to say is, let it be unto me as you have said. Let it be unto me as you have said. And then let the Holy Spirit overshadow. Let the presence of God touch your heart. Let the weight of this world, the weight of your sin, the weight of your guilt, just get washed away in His presence. Because it's for you. It's for you. So would you pray with me today? And let's pray some of Mary's words. Oh. Say, Jesus, 
Thank you for coming to earth. Thank you for setting me free. Thank you for washing me of all my sin, of all my darkness. Thank you for making me new. Now I want to feel your presence. Oh, let's say that again. Now I want to feel your presence. Overshadow me. Let it be unto me as you have said. Thank you for listening today. Now it's time to put your faith into action by applying this word to your life. If you'd like help taking your next steps with Jesus, contact us at revivechicago.church.